What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this exciting video, you'll see how my dividend portfolio has been doing in this choppy market. You'll also learn which dividend stocks I sold out of, as well as the new one I added, all of which ultimately lowered my annual passive income by thousands of dollars a year, but also de-risked and diversified my portfolio, as well as increased my dividend growth potential. I'll also tell you why I liquidated all my non-dividend stocks and almost all my crypto. Then near the end of this video I'll tell you about my background, for any new subscribers who haven't heard it yet. So there's a lot of really juicy information to share and I recommend that everyone watch this from start to end. But first I have a simple request and that's hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet and click that bell notification. Also please share this video or my channel with someone you know, as that's a great way you can help me as well as someone else out there. Okay, I want to kick this off and say that I share this info about my portfolio in hopes to motivate others to invest as well as to show what's possible if you invest for decades. But I recognize that some people will see a video like this and will think that some dude is just flexing over the internet. The truth is that I value humble people and have no compulsion to brag over the internet, thus I'm not sharing this info to show off in any way. I actually am somewhat reluctant to show my portfolio because I know that some people get negative envious emotions and it bothers me to think of others feeling bad about themselves or their financial spot in life because of my videos. I also know that some people will be saying to themselves that they could never build a portfolio like mine, but I'm here to hopefully help these folks shift their mindset. Don't compare yourself to me and instead just focus on how you can improve your own financial future. Work on mastering your emotions and focus on learning from other successes and then strive to apply some of those learnings to better enable your own path. Anything good in life takes time and effort, and the actions you take today will directly influence your future. So eat right, work out, invest, live within a budget, spend time on your relationships, do a good job at work, and start a side hustle. Don't stress if you're in low-end job flipping burgers. Bezos worked at McDonald's flipping burgers at one point in time. Elon Musk worked on a farm as well as at a lumber mill. There are an infinite number of paths you can take to better yourself, and everyone has their own struggles and advantages, so don't waste time worrying and instead spend time planning and doing. Your future will change based on the actions you take today. Okay, let's first review my dividend portfolio in my spreadsheet tool, as that's a nice way to see all the information, and then I'll show you it in Fidelity and prove it's real for any new subscribers. As most of you know, my spreadsheet is something I sell as one of my monthly benefits I give to my Patreon aristocrats and kings, i.e. the people whose names are scrolling on my video. Okay, so you see a lot of red in this sheet because I took it at market close on Friday, September 2nd, which was a down day in the markets and only my oil stocks were green. I've got this sorted based on largest positions first. Apple is number one in my portfolio and the color of the ticker automatically updates based on the stock's pay date. So if it's highlighted in green, it means it's paying today. If it's a cyan color, then that means it's paying out within the week. And if it's highlighted in yellow, it means it's paying out within a month. If there is no highlight, it means the payout is over a month away. As someone who lives on their dividends, I find having that quick visual indicator a useful reminder. The account column tells you which account your stock is in, or it says all if you have it selected to show all your stocks across all your accounts, rather than just show what's in an individual account. You can see that I have 1,738 shares of Apple, which is about 10.1% of my stocks, and I have a guideline where I don't like any position to get too much larger than 10%, though Apple is one of the crown jewels of my portfolio, so I'd probably make an exception for it. Then you see pricing information, which updates automatically throughout the trading day. So like Apple closed at $155.81 a share, which means it lost $2.15 on that day, which is a 1.36% drop for it, and so that also means that position dropped $3,736 in value that day. 
Then we have the market value of the position based on the account selected. And so in this case, you see that I have about 271 grand of Apple. Then we have X date and then pay date, which has the same color coding as the ticker. And then dividends paid out per pay period, where a pay period is usually every quarter or every month. So we see that Apple pays me about $400 each time it pays out quarterly, which means it pays out about $1,600 a year. Now, before we move on to other columns, I want to show you the screenshot I took on Tuesday, September 6th, after Labor Day, that better illustrates what I mean with some color coding. First, we see it's more of a green day at the time I took the screenshot, as compared to Friday's close. So here you can see that Apple is white, so it's not paying out within the next month. Then Microsoft and Exxon are cyan, so they are both paying out within the week, which is also why their pay dates and divs per pay period are color-coded that way. Then we have Altria, which isn't paying out in the next month, so it's not highlighted. Then J&J is paying out today on the 6th, so it's green. Then Realty Income and Pepsi are paying out within the month, so they are yellow, etc. Okay, back to the screenshot from the third. The next column after dividends per year is current dividend yield, which for Apple is a very low 0.59%, and then after that is its three-year dividend category, which is at 8.46%, and which you can override if you want. Then I have a field that fills in automatically for how much dividends get paid out per share per pay period, and then a column for how many pay periods the stock has per year, so four means it pays quarterly. Then I have a field called divs per share per year, which automatically gets updated based on information pulled from the internet, and I also have an optional manual input field you can enter values in to override the automatically pulled one. The manual field can be used when a company announces a hike or a cut, and you want to put that new amount in immediately, rather than wait for it to update on its own, which usually takes a few weeks. And then whenever the manual sell of dividends paid per share is different than the automatic one, then both fields gets highlighted in yellow, which tells you that either a hike happened or a cut happened, which is quite helpful. I tried to stay on top of all my stocks, but I recently missed a small hike that Realty Income did, and I found out about it by seeing the two cells highlighted indicating that they were different, and specifically the automatic one was a bit higher than the manual one. So then I go in and set my manual one to be the same value as the automatically populated one, and doing that clears the highlighting until something changes again. Then there are a few other useful pieces of information that get pulled in like PE and a small graph showing how the stock has done over the last year, and it color codes the line red or green depending on if it's lower or higher relative to its price a year ago. Then we have a column for sector, which you can change, and then one for beta and one for the next calendar month it's paying dividends in, and then there's a calendar view of the dividends that you've received in the last six months. The green column represents what month you're in, which in this case is September. Then the columns to the right of the green ones are the future months with estimates of future dividend payouts. So in this case we see that Apple paid me about $400 in May and August, and then we should get another $400 in November and in February of 2023. In cases where you buy more stock or if they do a hike, then you'll see the amounts going up when you scan over the payouts here. Okay, now let's go over the rest of my positions and interesting data points before jumping into Fidelity. Going forward, I'll round prices to the nearest five grand and annual dividend income to the nearest hundred, but you can see specifics on screen if you care. So after Apple is Microsoft, another of my crown jewels, and I've got 200 grand of Microsoft and it yields $1,900 in dividends a year. Then is ExxonMobil at 180 grand and yielding $6,700 a year. Then is Altria at 170 grand and yielding 13,900 a year in dividends. Then is everybody's favorite J&J at $155,000 and yielding $4,400 a year. Then Realty Income at $155,000 and which yields $6,900 a year, which means $571 a month. I recently went heavier into Realty Income because my wife loves it and because I felt it's reasonably priced. Not cheap, which is obviously a better time to invest, but not expensive either.
I'd like to slowly DCA in the upcoming years into realty income to eventually get to a thousand bucks a month. That'd be epic. Next up is Pepsi at 130 grand and yielding $3,500 a year. Then AbbVie at 125 grand and yielding $5,300 a year. Then Philip Morris at 120 grand and yielding $6,400 a year. Then we come to Duke Energy at 115 grand and yielding $4,300 a year. Next is Procter and Gamble at 105 grand and yielding $2,800 a year. Then McDonald's at 105 grand and yielding $2,300 a year. Then British American Tobacco at 105 grand, which is my only international stock, and it yields about $6,500 a year. Quick note on BTI: Seeking Alpha currently says the BTI pays out $2.96 per share per year. But in the manual column, I've put in a formula that dynamically calculates the correct amount it should pay out based on changing currency. So a crazy thing to notice is that due to the super strong dollar, I'm actually getting 15% less in dividends than I did earlier in the year, since it's currently only paying $2.51 per share per year. Ouch. What BTI does is on their normal payout date, they lock in what the currency conversion is going from British currency to US currency, and then we get paid. So like the last payout date in the US was on August 22nd, even though the official British payout date was five days earlier on the 17th. We get ours paid out a few days later due to the time it takes them to process everything. On BTI's site, you can see that they normally pay 54.45 pence per share per quarter, and there are 100 pence in a British pound sterling. On the 17th, the conversion rate was about 1.2 British pounds sterling to $1, so they multiply 54.45 pence by 1.2, and they get to the gross rate of about 0.655, which equals 65.5 cents per share per quarter. Then they take out a small ADR fee, and we ended a net payout rate in the U.S. of about 65 cents per share per quarter. Thus, as the dollar gets stronger, then the conversion rate lowers, so instead of a 1.2 multiplier, imagine a 1.1 multiplier, or whatever. And as that multiplier goes down, it means it's paying out less to the U.S. Now, sometimes currency will play out in your favor, i.e. when your currency is getting weaker in relation to the target currency, and that's something you've got to realize when owning international stocks. Another reality has to do with potential international dividend withholding tax, which I don't have to deal with since I'm an American and it's a British stock. Currency conversion explains why Seeking Alpha says that British American Tobacco has been increasing their dividend for zero years, which is incorrect when you use British currency, as it's been increasing for decades, but is correct when you factor in what we actually get in the US. Okay, moving on, next is Chevron at about 105 grand, and which yields $3,700 a year. Then Coca-Cola at 100 grand, and yields $2,900 a year. Then Southern Company at 90 grand and yields $3,000 a year. Then we come to a new position and it's a dividend ETF called SCHD and I've got 85 grand of it and it yields around $2,900 a year. I'll talk about why I went into SCHD a bit later in the video. Next is Kimberly Clark at 70 grand and which yields $2,600 a year. Then Goldman Sachs at 60 grand and yields $1,800 a year. Then Colgate Palmolive at 50 grand and yields $1,300 a year. Then Caterpillar at 35 grand and yields $1,000 a year. Then Leggett and Platt at 35 grand and yields $1,700 a year. Then Home Depot at 30 grand and yields $800 a year. Then Starbucks at 25 grand and yields $600 a year. Then Travelers Insurance at 25 grand and yields $600 a year. And finally Pfizer at about 20 grand worth and which yields about $800 in dividends a year. What you might notice is that AT&T and 3M are missing and I'll elaborate on that a bit later as well. In total, you can see my dividend portfolio stands at 2.67 million US dollars, and it generates just over $90,000 a year in dividends. That annual dividend amount changes as currency changes, all of which happens automatically in my personal spreadsheet. 
You can see that my portfolio's average weighted yield is 3.37%, and my portfolio's average weighted dividend category is at 7.25%. If you look at how my income is expected to trend month over month, we see that I get about $9,700 one month, then $7,400 the next month, and then $5,300 the final month of the quarter. And then those three amounts keep repeating. So the fourth month is back to $9,700 and then $7,400, etc., all of which adds up to a bit over 90 grand a year. This fund data here represents estimates of how my income will trend year over year based on if I don't have a drip on, which is the top line, or if I am reinvesting dividends with the drip, then it's the bottom line. So you can see in the current year I'm at 90k income, and then if dividend CAGRs hold, then a year from now I'll be at 96.6k without dripping, or 99.8k if I'm reinvesting. Then two years from now I'll be at 103k without the drip, or 110k with the drip. And that estimate keeps going on for the next 30 years. Theoretically I'd be making 735 grand 30 years from now, if I wasn't reinvesting dividends, and without considering inflation or taxes, or I'd be at an even more insane $1.7 million a year in dividends if I was dripping. Wow. Then this is a graph that shows those income estimates over time. So as the years go on, the income from dripping, aka the red line, goes up faster than the income from not dripping, aka the blue line. Fun stuff. Then I have this chart that estimates that I'll make around $7,500 a month in dividends, which is about $1,731 a week, or $246 a day, or $10.28 an hour, every hour, year-round. So if I go to sleep for 7 hours and wake up, then I'll have made another $70 while sleeping. But it's actually more than that if you're trying to convert a pure hourly income number into an hourly wage number, since wages tend to take out more in taxes and because you tend to work only about 20-25% of total possible hours that exist. So a wage hour is like 4-5 to five times a pure hourly number. Thus, it's kind of like saying I'm making 57 bucks an hour if I had a job. Then again, it would actually be less than that for me since a portion of my dividends are in retirement accounts, which then get taxed and penalized if withdrawn early. Whatever it is, you can't beat true passive income. Okay, here's a graph that is dynamically created that shows my portfolio value by sector. So you can see how tech is my biggest sector at 17%, etc. I also have an ETF now which has its own sector representation. And then this is a passive income percentage by sector graph, and we can see that since stocks are at 29%, and then consumer stables are at about 15%, and energy is at 11% of the income, etc. If I was young, then I'd not recommend any SIN stocks, but being retired, I'm cool with it. And here's a passive income percentage by ticker, where Altria is the big boy at 15%, then Realty Income at 7.6%, then Exxon at 7.4%, etc. Here's a graph of portfolio value by ticker, and we can see that Apple's the largest at 10.1%, followed by Microsoft at 7.5%, and then Exxon at 6.8%. There are a bunch of other useful tools and graphs in my spreadsheet product, but let's move into Fidelity now. So here's a screenshot I took of my accounts on Saturday, September 3rd. I work on my videos throughout the week, so sometimes data can change a tab between sections. I have three dividend accounts in Fidelity, and as you can see they add up to 2.677 million US dollars. I've blacked out my account numbers. So I have 1.16 million dollars of dividend stocks in my IRA, which isn't a Roth because Roths didn't exist when I started investing, and then I made the mistake of not starting one when I found out about them. I have $1.34 million of dividend stocks in my taxable account, and I have 167 grand worth of stocks in an account for my wife that I manage. My wife's hourly jobs over the years often didn't have 401ks, and I made the mistake of not focusing on building her retirement account that much as the years went on. The markets closed red when I took the screenshot, which is why each account is down for the day. Across all three accounts I was down about 1% on average, which means I was down a bit over 26 grand. 
As your account grows, you will obviously see greater dollar swings on any given day, and over time bigger swings won't mean much to you. Like I no longer get excited on big up days, nor do I get irked on big down days. Now let's take a look at the performance of my portfolio compared to the SP500. Fidelity shows overall account returns based on the last day of the previous month, so this screen shows returns over various time frames ending August 31st. I moved from E-Trade to Fidelity about 1.5 years ago, which is why this screen doesn't go any further back than that. Also when you transfer brokers they sell all your fractional shares, which is why many of my stocks today don't have fractional shares. The only ones that do are ones I purchased or added to since I moved. I used to drip everything in E-Trade, but once the dividend income got more than my expenses I turned off the drips and started using dividends to pay bills. What you can see is that across my accounts I'm down 2.88% in the last month, which is better than the SP500 which is down 4.08% in the same time frame. Of course, a month is kind of meaningless in terms of how your portfolio is doing. If we go year to date we see I'm down 2.63%, which significantly outperforms the SP500 which is down 16.13%. And then my overall one year performance across my accounts shows I'm up 3.53%, which also beats the SP500 which is down 11.23%. Even one-year performance is kind of meaningless, but it's still good to be aware of. I generally like to think in terms of decades. My portfolio beta is low, so this performance is what I'd expect would happen, i.e. I lose less in down markets, which helps me beat the index, but then I'll also do worse in up markets. I've never been someone who's hyper-focused about beating market returns. I'm happy to just roughly be in line. I get excited with every dime I invest, kind of like I get excited to eat a good meal. I don't fret if they drop prices after I had my meal because I know I'm doing the right long-term things and that motivates me. But I know a lot of people worry if they don't beat the markets. Like a few minutes ago I got a comment on a video where a viewer said, We all invest with the hopes that one day we'll have enough money to live off our investments. The question remains, can a regular investor like me really beat the market? I've invested in several stocks that seem like they'll make good returns, but they always turn out to be underwhelming. My response is that I don't think you need to beat the market. I mean the easiest and probably smartest thing to do is just invest in inexpensive broad market ETFs that match the market. And then you can also invest in some single stocks if you want. The key is to stay invested and keep investing over long periods of time. It's always better to invest than to waste money on something you don't need. Plus it doesn't matter if you never get to the point where your investments pay all your expenses. Paying some of your expenses with passive income is still good. I mean in retirement you'll probably have some social security, some dividend income, and maybe you'll do some side hustles. Any investment is better than no investment. Okay now let's look at my dividends starting with my taxable account. This is what Fidelity calls its dividend view and it sorted things by ticker alphabetically. You'll see I have many of the same stocks in my taxable and retirement accounts. I'll just go over a few of these but feel free to take a snapshot if you want to see all the details. The first stock in my taxable account is Apple. I have 408 shares of Apple in this account worth 63 grand and we see that it has a tiny yield of 0.58% and that it is 4.7% of this account and it yields $375 of dividends a year. Then we see 56 grand of ABV yielding $2,346 of divvies. And then I have British American Tobacco worth 94 grand and which yields $6,677 a year in dividends. That's actually too high of an estimate for BTI because Fidelity doesn't dynamically update the estimate based on currency fluctuations. Then I have Colgate Palmolive, Chevron, Duke Energy, and a dividend investor's favorite in Johnson & Johnson where I have 109 grand worth in this account and it yields $3,019 of dividends a year. Speaking of J&J, it reminds me of this private comment I just got on my dividend discord. I'm hiding the person's name because they asked to remain anonymous. 
He messaged me the following just a few seconds ago. He said, I just saw one of your posts and wanted to share this with you. My father recently passed away and I inherited a $1.1 million portfolio. As a younger investor, 27 years old, I have learned a lot from your channel and this Discord. I am still intimidated by the size of my father's portfolio, but I know how to deal with it efficiently. If anyone ever needed validation that DCAing works, consult my dad's portfolio. He bought 1,200 shares of J&J back when it was $15 a share. He bought 1,200 shares of Pepsi when it was $17 a share. I have my own port, worth $7,000, and being able to see that in the long game it does work, well, that is extremely powerful. I just saw your post about J&J processing and wanted to share. It would have made my father happy to see his J&J processing as well. What he was talking about was a comment I had just made in my Dividend Socks channel on my Dividend Discord. We were talking about upcoming dividend raises people were expecting to get soon, and someone named Nuggets92 said he'd gotten three dividend raises so far as a newer investor. And then Dealer OCM said he was looking forward to getting his Texas Instruments dividend hike, in addition to getting hikes from Philip Morris, Microsoft, McDonald's, and Starbucks. And that's when I mentioned that J&J, Pfizer, and Southern Company dividends were all processing in Fidelity on that Saturday. One of the things I like about Fidelity is that it starts processing your dividend before the payout date, but it officially pays out on the evening of the payout date Pacific time. Doing that sometimes lets you trade your cash dividends before they settle, which some folks might find beneficial. Now at the time I was doing this I knew that J&J was going to pay out after Labor Day, so let's take a look at my investment account's activity history. This screenshot from before Labor Day shows that I'm getting a bunch of dividends on the 6th, but are being processed right now. First it's a taxable J&J dividend for $754. Then an IRA J&J dividend for $262. Then another retirement J&J dividend for $75. So in total I'll get about $1,092 of J&J for this quarter's payout, which is what you might remember seeing in my spreadsheet, which is equal to $4,370 of J&J dividends a year. J&J is another of my crown jewels, but it's kind of annoying they're splitting off and forming another company. It's probably a good business decision, but I hate to see my beloved J&J need to do that. After those J&J ones, we see a retirement Pfizer dividend for $200. Then a retirement Southern Company dividend for $452. And then a taxable Southern Company dividend for $308. Southern doesn't get enough praise, but I've loved owning that stock. Anyways, I've mentioned this before, that I have an auto transfer set up on my taxable account, so that all my dividends automatically get transferred to my bank checking account after the pay date. So literally, I have cash just continually pouring into my checking account, and since I have no job anymore and they're all qualified dividends, below an allowed amount, it means I'll owe $0 in federal taxes on them. Truly amazing. Anyways, when I look at the balance function of my IRA and Fidelity, we see this. See how the cash available to trade is $915? That's from those three IRA dividends that are being processed that we saw in the other screenshot. And if the market was open on Labor Day, then I could actually buy more shares with that $915 of dividend cash before they paid out. Kinda neat. Anyways, back to the list of stocks. After J&J, you can see a bunch of other tickers in the list, like my new SCHD position. I have about 85 grand worth of SCHD, and Fidelity says it yields $3,510 a year of dividends. But I think Fidelity is giving it too high of an income estimate, since I think they are multiplying SCHD's last quarterly payout by 4 instead of using the trailing 12 months yield that might be a more accurate representation of it, which then lowers the estimate. Anyways, in total we see my taxable account is worth 1.345 million US dollars and that it yields over 53 grand a year in dividends. Okay, now I'll quickly show you my IRA. So here you see I also have shares of Apple worth 207 grand and which yields $1,223 a year. Then you see ABV, BTI, Caterpillar, blah blah blah. 
In total, my IRA has $1.16 million of dividend stocks and it yields $31,069 a year. Now let's go into the other retirement account called Rollover. Here we see more AbV worth $37,000, which yields $1,517 a year. And then we see BTI, Home Depot, J&J, Altria, Realty Income, and Travelers. In total, this account is worth $167,000 and yields around $6,800 a year in dividends. Okay, now let's go over a quick background about me, as that's a common question new subscribers ask, and then I'll explain why I made some of the changes to my portfolios. So I've always been a pretty private person, and remaining private frees me to talk about things over the internet that I'd otherwise not be comfortable sharing. I'm self-made, never won a lottery or been given a dime, and in fact started with a negative net worth since my wife had a bunch of debt when we got married. My first job was as a programmer in the 90s after I graduated from college, and eventually I moved into technology management. The reason I started investing was because of a guy I respected at my first job recommended I should invest, and other programmers at work used to talk about investing in Microsoft and stuff like that, so that also influenced me. Ironically, my dad used to say that the stock market was like gambling, so he wasn't a fan of it, and to this day my parents have zero dollars invested in stocks. Over time, I got more into investing and actually started a stock investment club with some friends in the 90s where we'd meet up for dinner and chat about what stocks we should invest in, and we had a minimum amount each person had to invest each month, and we formalized the whole thing as a company since real money was involved. After the dot-com bomb hit, our investing company was dissolved, and to this day some of those guys still don't invest. I've been investing for almost 30 years, and about half my current portfolio just came from Steady Eddie 401k contributions, which I'd roll into a retirement account when I left jobs and the other half came from deposits into a taxable account over a long period of time. I rarely max out my retirement accounts over the years because I didn't make that much for a long time, so the amount I contributed wasn't anywhere near the annual caps, and honestly I was more interested in cars and travel and gaming than I was with investing. You can watch a video I did called How to Become a Millionaire if you want to hear more specifics on what I did. Whenever I came into bigger amounts of cash, like from selling a house, then I'd often invest those lump sums. I've gotten a lot of experience with all sorts of assets over the decades and came to prefer the passive income and no stress from dividends over anything else, and they tend to trend up over time. I've been married for over two decades now and have an awesome wife and two great kids. I retired two years ago when my dividend income made enough money to cover my expenses and I started my YouTube channel as a way to teach my kids how to invest, once they got old enough to care, as well as to show them how to build a business. I also love working out and playing video games and watching movies. Now I feel like my calling in life is to spread the word about how wonderful and impactful it is to invest in solid dividend companies. Dividends are an amazing way to create your own pension-like stream of income, and even a small amount can start lowering your stresses about money, your job, and your future. While nothing is a guarantee, I'm living proof that it works. There are countless misconceptions about dividends and how they work, and so that also drives my passion to educate the world. A common question I get is if I think using options like covered calls is a good way to make more income. I do think using options to potentially increase your income is often a good idea, and you can watch why dividends are 10 times better than active income, which explains why I used to do options but no longer do. Make sure you research and educate yourself before trying options, and then go slow and stay small. Options are about probabilities and risk versus reward, and there is never anything that is guaranteed with investing, regardless of what you might hear. Many people do great with options. However, sometimes people get overzealous or don't moderate what they're doing or go after riskier things like shorting stocks or writing naked calls and unfortunately they can lose big. Another common question I get is why I don't just put my entire portfolio in something like QYLD or Jeppy so I'd be making like $300,000 a year in income. The quick answer is that I make enough income with my portfolio that I don't need to sacrifice total returns for yield. 
What I mean is that most income ETFs tend to have more yield now at the cost of total returns over time. That doesn't mean that every stock I have will outperform all income ETFs, nor does it mean that some income ETFs won't outperform for some periods of time. I'm just talking in generalities based on my research, and if you know me, you know I like researching data on finances. So if your portfolio doesn't generate enough income, then raising your yield with income ETFs might make sense. But I wouldn't go the income ETF route if I was younger and was trying to grow my net worth. I currently try to live on the income that my taxable portfolio generates, Unfortunately, I live in an inexpensive city and I like to be frugal, and I can always take early IRA dividend distributions if needed, or I can just reinvest what's left over. My dividends feel like an ATM which just keep filling up with cash. It's truly incredible, especially during these times when my portfolio is outperforming the indexes even though I'm still withdrawing dividends. One thing to remember is that it's not about what you make, it's about what you invest intelligently, and living a frugal life and investing will greatly help your financial state. Case in point, look at this comment I just got literally moments ago on a video. Brian said, If I can become financially successful, anyone can, with willpower and determination. I'm 48 years old and began working in a grocery store while attempting to go to college at 18. At age 20, I was hired as an entry-level laborer at a company that builds water treatment facilities. By age 36, I was promoted to project superintendent. I've been a frugal person most of my life. My results are as follows. Real estate, 1.9 million. Union pension paid 200K. 401K, 200K. Brokerage, 160K. Heavy equipment, 200K. Total debt, 70K. That's awesome, Brian. He's built up a net worth of over 2 million bucks at 48 years old and did it by living frugally and investing. A simple formula for success is to live within a budget and work hard and invest in decent assets for long periods of time. It's smart to have an emergency fund to pay off bad debt, and it's probably smart to dollar cost average into inexpensive broad market ETFs and or in decent single stocks, though I'd wager most will do better with ETFs. And be prepared for hard times. Like right now it seems more probable than not that we're seemingly in a recession, which could get progressively worse, so it wouldn't surprise me if my portfolio fell by 50% in the next year or two. But it also wouldn't surprise me if my portfolio went sideways more went up. The nice thing is that with my dividend investing strategy, I tend not to get impacted either way. If I had to guess, I'd think we'd crash more, but I don't have a crystal ball and I don't sell everything and sit on the sidelines for two main reasons. Number one, because I literally need my dividend income to pay my mortgage and my health insurance and food and such. And number two, I've learned over the years that more people get it wrong than right when they sell their entire portfolios and try to time the bottom. And a great thing about investing in blue chip dividend companies is that your cash flow tends to keep growing, even if the market is crashing. Okay, now let's talk about why I sold out of AT&T and 3M and use some of those proceeds to start a new position in SCHD, as well as build up my realty income position. So I was recently chatting in my private upper tier Patreon channels on my dividend discord, and I mentioned that I had a fun conversation with my wife where I was telling her about how she should invest if I wasn't around to help her. I told her she could just buy more shares of SCHD rather than anything else because it's a dividend ETF and it would be easier for her to do that than to try to figure out which of our stocks she should buy more of. She asked me what an ETF was and I explained how it's a single stock that represents a bunch of other stocks and she said, oh you mean like my favorite real estate stock? She was talking about realty income. So then I explained how SCHD was different than realty income which owned a bunch of properties and not a bunch of stocks. Anyways, what I didn't tell my Patreons was the reason why I was having that conversation in the first place, which ties into why I changed my portfolio a bit. What happened was that I ended up in the emergency room this last quarter due to a health issue which hit me out of the blue, and had it not worked out then I'd be a vegetable or dead right now. Grim, but c'est la vie. I've talked about some of my health issues in a video I did called The Time I Sold All My Stocks, and an unfortunate reality for me is that at any moment I could be gone, and while sure anyone could be hit by a car and be killed, my health issues are far more likely than a random accident. 
Luckily, you couldn't tell anything was wrong with me if you met me in real life, but because of my health issues, I need to make extra sure that my family's financial security will be covered if I'm not here, so the actions I take with my portfolio don't necessarily make sense for you to copy. So after I got out of the hospital, I took a hard look at my portfolio and decided I wanted to both de-risk it as well as make it easier for my wife to be able to invest into it. In my opinion, you can't let your portfolio go on autopilot forever because even good companies can disappear. For example, I saw a Forbes article that said that 90% of the Fortune 500 firms have vanished since 1955. Let that sink in. 9 out of 10 companies who were part of the Fortune 500 in 1955 no longer exist. Now many of them got acquired so they didn't go bankrupt, but some did go bankrupt, like Kodak and Continental Airlines and such. And even bankruptcy doesn't mean you lose your money, as some companies can recover from bankruptcies. I took a look at the Fortune 500 from 1955 and there are a bunch of names I didn't even recognize. I mean, Richardson Vicks, Interlake Iron, Solar Aircraft, etc. aren't names that mean much to me. In fact, in a recent study, researchers from Washington University estimated that in 10 years, 40% of today's Fortune 500 firms on the SP500 will become extinct. 40%! A key point that article made was that investors and money managers are unaware of the rate of change and disruption of businesses that's happening at a level that is hard to fathom, and that many of today's Fortune 500 are in danger of being disrupted into oblivion. Big companies go bye-bye all the time for a variety of reasons. Companies like JCPenney, Radio Shack, AIG, Enron, and the list goes on and on. So you've got to stay on top of your companies. And when I reviewed mine, I felt that 3M had some real risk associated with it from all the lawsuits and probable lawsuits. Now, companies deal with litigation all the time, and most of it isn't a material impact to them. But the 3M lawsuit regarding their earplugs is the largest mass tort in American history. Given America is one of the most litigious countries in the world, it's no joke that 3M is embroiled in the largest in history. 3M is trying a Texas two-step to get out of it, but so far has failed. In 3M's Q2 earnings call, the CEO said that as of June 30th, 2022, there were approximately 115,000 filed claims and an additional 120,000 claims on an administrative docket. The multi-district litigation process and the highly variable outcomes it has generated has not provided certainty or clarity. We believe that litigating these cases individually could take years, if not decades. So hopefully they can drive towards a single class action suit. Now, 3M declared bankruptcy on this subsidiary they acquired called Aero that made the earplugs in question, but they've had some setbacks. Anyways, I recommend you research and don't assume what I told you is accurate or up to date, and I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a financial analyst. Beyond the earplug issue, I actually think the PFAS risks, aka forever chemicals, may be an even bigger risk and impact on 3M than the earplugs. Apparently in the 1950s, 3M launched several products based on those chemicals, including Scotchgard. And my understanding is that those types of chemicals were also used to create water-repelling clothes, as well as things like Teflon-coated nonstick pans for cooking. And those chemicals can allegedly accumulate in your blood, causing cancer, damaging your immune system, etc. And then the question is how long did 3M know about this and what their potential liability would be and stuff like that. Again, I'm not a chemist nor a lawyer, so research this for yourself. These aren't the types of run-of-the-mill lawsuits I normally see. So I wouldn't be surprised if these various risks become a material drag on earnings for a long time, and they have a reasonable risk of impacting their dividend and potentially more. Is that probable? Some would say no. I'm guessing that 3M's lawyers will be top-notch and they'll do whatever is necessary to do well. And regardless, they have amazing patents and longevity, so they'll figure a way to deal with it. I think, anyways. Plus, there are a lot of great investors out there who are now doubling down on 3M stock, because it's so depressed. And the way you really can make tons of money is when you invest in good stuff when it's out of favor. But you can also lose a lot of money by taking on that risk. And that's the nature of the market. More risk, more return, and more potential for loss. 
I bought into Apple when it was out of favor and it's worked out great, but each situation is unique. If I didn't have my realities to deal with, then I need to think more about what I'd do with 3M. Thus, what makes sense for me doesn't necessarily make sense for you. Okay, now before I talk about AT&T, I'll tell you about another thing which prompted me to sell. What happened was that in January of this year, I found out that someone close to me was in dire need of financial assistance. They didn't come to me asking for help or anything. I found out through the grapevine that they really needed help. Heck, almost no one knows that I have a net worth of a few million dollars, not my friends nor my relatives. And this wasn't a case of them mishandling their finances, it was about bad timing and health issues and such. The amount they needed was large enough that I'd have to sell almost all my non-dividend assets to cover them, i.e. audios to my Tesla, Google, Amazon, etc., as well as almost all my crypto. Now the good news was that at this time, the SP500 hadn't fallen yet and Bitcoin was over 40k still. To be clear, I wasn't selling because I thought the market would crash or anything like that, even though I did think it would. No, I sold because it would help someone I cared about, and fortunately and randomly we got super lucky about selling at that time. This actually wasn't the first time that I gave away six figures to someone close to me. But doing all those sales also meant I'd owe a ton in taxes, thus part of my reasons for selling AT&T and 3M had to do with tax loss harvesting. So as I mentioned in my original stock analysis videos that I did when I started my channel, many of my stocks, like 3M, I first bought in the 1990s. And as my longtime viewers know, I sold out of all my stocks before I started YouTube due to a health emergency and my desire to make things easier on my wife, and then I bought into them again once I made it through. If I had never liquidated my 3M stock since my original purchases, then it wouldn't be a candidate from a tax loss harvesting basis. But since I got back into it only years ago, it became an option. AT&T was a stock I had avoided in the past due to its debt and overall lack of performance, and some of its management acquisitions were disconcerting, especially the DirecTV purchase which I didn't agree with as I saw cord cutting was the future. I actually liked their Warner Brothers acquisition because the assets they acquired had incredible monetization opportunities if they executed properly, but it also ended up not being fruitful form. And I also liked their smaller app Nexus acquisition, which AT&T rebranded and called Xander because that startup was one of the few real competitors to Google's advertising marketplace. Xander was essentially an ad exchange business that was a big marketplace where digital ads can be bought and sold, a business which Google basically dominates in. Plus I wanted some exposure into the communication services sector, so I decided to risk it and take a position in a stock that I calculated was undervalued, even with AT&T's low CAGR and debt issues and such. And for a while it was the right call. I got in at 29-ish and the stock went up to 39. Remember I'm talking about prices before the WBD spinoff, which lowered it. But then I broke one of my own rules and didn't sell AT&T when they cut their dividend. I mean I considered it, and normally would have jettisoned it, but I still calculated them as undervalued and I liked their plan to materially lower their debt, which they did going from $200 billion in debt down to around $130 billion, which is still a ton, but it's going in the right direction. Finally, it's actually less than Verizon's debt, and they've said they'll keep on delevering. But I was disappointed in March when AT&T revised their free cash flow for 2022 to be in the $16 billion range, and then months later they lowered that updated estimate from the $16 billion range to the $14 billion range. AT&T's CEO attributed their weaker free cash flow guidance due to heavier investment in growth and working capital impacts related to timing of collections, aka customers weren't paying their bills on time. Now the second half of the year is forecast to have better free cash flow form, but if that doesn't happen then it might get a bit icky for the dividend. And if we do indeed go into deep recession, then odd wager bill collection will still get worse. That being said, people are addicted to their cell phones and would probably pay whatever it takes to keep them on. Plus, AT&T probably has a get-out-of-jail-free card by the U.S. government if it ever got into deep problems. Because self-service is basically a critical utility and potentially represents a national security interest at this point in time. 
So realistically, I think T's dividend will remain covered and will keep paying out, and I'd normally just watch it closely. But given my realities, and the fact that it was my only other long-term tax loss harvesting candidate, I decided to go on a more comfortable path for my family. When I was thinking about what to do, I created a list of pros and cons about moving into SCHD. If you watched my video called SCHD My Favorite Dividend ETF, you would already know why I like it, but I'll mention a few things. I like that Charles Schwab manages it. I like the algorithm they use. I like that it's had a higher historical dividend CAGR than my portfolio's average weighted dividend CAGR. Though I should also mention that SCHD performed well in a bull market, and I'm confident it won't continue at this growth pace. And in fact, if we go into a deep recession, then lots of things could happen to it. Anyways, another pro is that I like the idea of having a managed dividend ETF, i.e. something that updated stocks from time to time, kind of like I do, but something my wife wouldn't do. I also like that she could just dump cash into it to increase her income without worrying about if it was overpriced or whatever. I also like that it's a stock that I could dump spinoffs into. I'm usually not a fan of keeping spinoffs, so like instead of me keeping J&J spinoff, I might just move that money to SCHD. I've not made that decision yet, but that's something I'd consider. I also like the idea of maybe moving some of my smaller positions that I'm less enamored with into SCHD. Like, do I want a 1% position in Leggett and Platt? Maybe, maybe not. Another pro is that it was more heavily weighted in financials than my portfolio, which is something I should probably rectify. SCHD also has some industrials exposure to partially counter what I lost. Now I'd really like to go into Lockheed Martin at some point in time as another industrial play, but it's just been too expensive for my cheap blood. Anyways, there were also some cons going into SCHD. First, moving to SCHD would lower my annual dividend income by thousands of dollars a year. But even if I did do that, my income would still be more than enough to cover our needs. Another con is that I don't like volatile payouts, and SCHD bounces around quarter to quarter, but has managed to go up year over year. Another con is that I've always been more motivated to own single stocks than ETFs, but at the same time I thought it'd be kind of fun to mix it up a bit. An obvious con is that it has an expense ratio, but it's quite a small one. So overall I liked SCHD, and I realized that I'd be fine if SCHD grows into one of my largest positions over time, and I'd be fine for it to stay about where it is. Part of what got me thinking about SCHD was a poll I ran on my Discord where I asked folks about what they thought I should do with the dividends that I don't use that I'm getting in my retirement accounts, and the top answers included start a position with SCHD, start one with Jeppy, go more into realty income, or just turn my drip back on. Anyways, that covers a lot of it, and there actually is more to the story, but this video has gone on long enough. So now I'd like to call out a Patreon aristocrat who's joined up since my last video. So thank you Cali St. Louis fan for signing back up. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in my videos, and they get to be in multiple private channels on my dividend discord chat server, where I let my upper tier Patreons watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as they get to vote on which thumbnails I should use for my videos, and of course they get more direct access to me. To close this off, please now do me a favor and hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it and it's growing all the time. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.